0: Shalom, Hebrews and Shepherds. Welcome to our 23rd episode of the Diaspora of Yashorel. Last week, last week doesn't count. We are, of course, a Sabbath-based community of truth seekers who desire to be set apart from the world by keeping the Father's commands, which is the Torah, as well as the testimony of Yehusha HaMashiach, who testified to Yahuwah's Torah anyways. In case you're confused out there, you know, if this goes out to YouTube land or whatever, and... You don't have the faintest clue what Torah is. That's the first five books of the Bible. It's called the law. So if we say we believe in Yahushua, the son of the Most High, most would call him Jesus, and have faith in him, then we need to do what he told us to do, keep his father's commands. If we say we love him, also go and sin no more. My theme verse is Revelation 14, 12. For those of you sitting here tonight, just uh, (laughs) put up with it. I say this almost every week, but here's what it says. Here is the patience of the saints. He or they that keep the commandments of Elohim and the faith of Yahushua HaMashiach. Almost undoubtedly, we'll be talking more about faith tonight. Well, wouldn't you know it, the same passage can be found in Torah. Follow along. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth Yahuwah. And that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Because, and here it is, he hath despised the word of Yahuwah and hath broken his commandment. That soul shall utterly be cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. Numbers 15, 30 through 31. Well, isn't that interesting? Nothing about the New Testament has changed from the old. And I bet we'll probably be talking more about that tonight. Yahusha, the word of Yahuwah, has always been laying it down. The law, that is. And people everywhere are looking to break the commandments. Go figure. Now, I am joined tonight by my friends Rob and Michael. And I am very excited for tonight's study in Yaakov, the Hebrew Epistle of James. As usual, I've prepared notes in advance. But I have no clue what Rob or Michael have cooked up. It should be delicious, I'm sure. I'm thinking it's going to be top-shelf quality. And so with that, let's begin. Rob you know you want to, would you like to open us in prayer?
1: Father Yahweh, we thank you for this time that we have here coming together as an assembly and reviewing your words and may your words speak to us. May the Rurak move through, through us and may we have better understanding as we have this discussion. And Father, may you direct us in, the, in these words Uh, to reveal anything to our hearts that we need to know. And Father, may your name, your great and mighty name, be blessed forever and ever. Amen.
0: Okay, I'm going to start reading tonight. I have the pleasure of reading chapter one, Yaakov, Hebrew James, chapter one. Yaakov, a servant of Yahuwah, and Adon, Yeshua Hamashiach, to the twelve tribes which are scattered into all the places. Firstly, joy. My beloved brothers, consider it as joy when you fall into a trial, and know that your faith, when it is complete, makes long suffering. But the longsuffering must be unto the end, so that you may be with fullness and nothing be lacking from you. But if there is one among you who lacks wisdom, he must pray for it, of Yahuwah, who gives to every man, and he himself will also give it to him. But he must pray in faith, and not in doubting. For whosoever is doubtful, he is like a pair of balances on the sea. And this man must not think that he will receive anything from Ha'adon. And he who is doubtful is without knowledge in all his ways. But a brother who is low is able to boast with his exaltation, while the rich one must boast with his lowness, for like the flower of the field, he will dry up. And like a flower, he comes out, then withers, and he runs away like a shadow, and does not remain standing. And blessed is the man whom Eloah chastens, so do not refuse the dis- discipline of Shaddai, for after the chastisements you will receive the crown of life which Yahuwah promised to those who love him. But let no one say when a temptation comes on him. This comes from Yahuwah. For Yahuwah does not tempt man with evil, and he is not tempted by anyone. Only everyone is tempted when his desire overcomes him. And afterwards, if he accepts the desire, it causes the sin. But the sin, when it is completed, causes the death. Do not go astray, beloved brothers. Every good gift comes from above, from the light of the Father, and with him there is no change, nor alteration of light and darkness. And he was shown to us according to his will, by the word of truth, so that we can be first fruits of his creation. Because of this, beloved brothers, all the sons of man must be quick to listen, but not to speak, and not to anger. For the anger of the sons of man does not do that which is good before Yahuwah. But you must be of those who do the word and not of those who hear only, by which they deceive you. For if one is he who hears the word but does not do it, he is like a man who sees himself in the mirrors of the serving women. For after he saw himself, he goes away from it and forgets what he saw. But whosoever sees with fullness into the law of joy, and establishes it, and does not forget what he heard, but does it, this one will be blessed in all his deeds. However, if one among you thinks by himself that he serves Yahuwah, but does not keep his tongue with the bridle, but deceives his heart, this service of Yahuwah is not good. But the pure service, without lack before Yahuwah the Father, is this, he who goes to visit the fatherless ones and the widows in their distress. Thus concludes chapter one of Yaakov, handing it back to you, Rob.
1: Okay. Uh, Shabbat shalom, everyone, and uh, welcome. And I will start... I will start with my uh, commentary on this and, and roundtable it as we as we are looking at uh, James chapter one, and I'm going to drop in in the chat here something for y'all y'all to follow along. But what I want to touch on here is a couple things, and once again, as we read Jude the Hebrew Gospel of Jude, there was warnings to the fellow believers, to uh, Israel. And once again, here we have James speaking to the 12 tribes, which are scattered into all the places. So that's one thing I want everyone to, to remember. This is written to the 12 tribes scattered. So as you read each and every chapter we go through, this is to you who are in the 12 tribes. He says here, I have seven points here on this slide, and we are to consider it joy when you fall into trial. And many people are very, uh, how would you say, just distraught when they come into a trial, challenges in life, uh, when things are getting tough in your life. And, we must consider it joy because these trials are here for, for refining us, for for us to be able to endure, to learn the suffering, the long-suffering, and, and the endurance of these trials so that we can walk in hard times in joy as well as in the good times in joy. And most people have a hard time with that, which is understandable, but That's part of the different mindset we must have uh, that James is telling us. Uh, It must be a change of mind, just like repentance. It's a change of mind. We must walk away from this world. I mean, we read it so many times to walk away from this world and walk walk in, in the Spirit. And so that is walking in the Spirit, is these trials that come upon us, we must consider them as joy. So um, next one here is the, the okay, so the long-suffering. Your complete faith produces long-suffering, and complete is the whole faith. You know, it's, it's the, uh, the, the totality of your faith will produce long-suffering. So you'll be able to endure these things and have that joy, and it must be until the end. That's key. You, you know, you can't just go through a couple hard times in your life and then give up in the end. You must endure too. To the end so that you will lack nothing and we know when we read scriptures that if you endure to the end the blessings that you uh will be given will you won't lack any of them because you gave up at the end You'll, you'll you'll gain them all and then four blessed are you who eloah eloah chastens welcome it for after the ch- chastisements, you will receive the crown of life, if you love Yahweh. So once again, talking about you know the, the trials, the chastising, etc. Uh, if you receive them, you 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 know you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed because you are uh, receiving them. Enjoy your long suffering, and you're you're refining yourself in this whole process. Um, and most people, that is not. Not going to be an easy thing to uh, understand, but it, it is what he's saying. Point five I got is praying to Yahweh so he can give you wisdom. Now, we, we read this in John and also here that we need to, to pray to the Father to be given wisdom. That wisdom is very important, as we've read before, and as most of you here know, the importance of wisdom. And of from above, not wisdom of, of this earth. because <clears throat> well, when you pray in faith with no doubt, you must pray in faith with no doubt, otherwise you will receive nothing and will and be without knowledge in all your ways. so so the wisdom is going to help each and every one of us with battling the doubts that may come across our path with challenges to our faith, to the scriptures, to our walk, etc. And we read in Jude 20 and 24, to strengthen your faith without doubting. He warned us, strengthen your faith without doubting. And here James is telling us, pray in faith with no doubt. So they both are in agreement here as a second witness that we must do that. And I think that's very important is we must all pray for wisdom. And we must pray in faith without any doubt when we do so. Number six, you are tempted when you... When, okay, here's a, here's a good one, is to think about then. Uh When you are tempted, when your de- desire overcomes you, okay? If you accept the desire, it causes the sin. When it, it, when it is completed, it causes the death. And I want to refer to Jude 18. In the last days, there will be scoffers beside you who will walk after their desires. So if they're walking after their desires, according to James, they have accepted this desire, which is causing sin. So they're walking in their own desires in sin, and it's going to complete in their death. So that's how uh, tying those two together, you can just simply see. That we must reject the desires that we have for any temptations and walk away from it, step away from it, get you know take take it away, so we do not let our desire overcome us and accept it. And my point seven: if you are hum, if you are a humble one, you are able to boast at your height. A rich one will boast and wither away and not stand. So we see here that, and what comes comes to mind, I believe it was in um. Uh, when we were reading about Abraham, I can't remember which which book it was in, um, and I know no no will remember, uh, but it was talking about no uh, Abraham was talking. He um, was brought up. I forgot what book it was. Just as an example, he was brought up, and he was going around at his death, right before his death, and he was more or less pointing out the sin of people that he was seeing, and so he, he had the ability to uh, somewhat boast in his height because he was a righteous man uh, and humble. And so he had that ability to do so without uh, committing sin. But he quickly realized that he, he, did, he needs to stop that or, or shouldn't be doing that. So that's uh, the first slide I wanted to point out. And then my second slide here. Drop. And let's talk about that one. Uh, If I can drop it. Okay, there it goes. All right. So we got second part of chapter one. I'm going to touch on some warnings and blessings he's giving us here to to do. And once again, it's the 12 tribes. He's, He's telling us, do not go astray. And in Jude 23, it says, stay away from the sinners. And James is here is telling us, do not go astray. So, so two warnings here, from, one from Jude and one from James regarding, you know, staying, do not going astray from the truth and also staying away from sinners. But he's, he's giving us some, some things here to do. Be quick to listen, but not quick to speak or not quick to anger. So we must be cautious of our speech and our temper as we listen to others talking about any topic, uh, especially if it's uh, against uh, the words that we are hearing or the scriptures that we are, are reading. So we must be cautious on that. Point three, we be of those who do the word and not of those who hear only. And this one is very very uh, prominent, and we're going to see this over and over in, Jan- in James, this uh, being doers of the word and not hearers only. And as we continue working, looking at this, it's going to just keep pounding and pounding uh, to us that can see this uh, regarding being doers and not just hearers. Because point four says, if you do not do the word, you will forget it. So he's he's telling us why. You know, we're going to forget it if we're not doing it. So we can't be hearers. We must do it. So we do not forget it. And it's the only way to continue in it. Blessed are the deeds of, the, of one who performs the fullness of the law of joy and does not forget what he has heard. So he's reiterating here. Not you won't forget what you heard if you are performing the fullness of the law, you know, and by doing so, your deeds will be blessed by God, by performing the fullness of the law. Uh, and I think so many people, especially mainstream Christianity, misses out on this from, from what they are are being taught. But it's very simple, performing the fullness of the law. Uh, and it and, and I guess it would depend on how it is interpreted. But if we know the fullness of the law is, even if you look at the first, the greatest commandment that Yeshua says, love Yah with all your strength, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, in that, all the uh, law hangs on. And if you're performing that, the fullness of all of that, then it will be a joy to you. Uh, once again, he talks about the speech. Bridle your speech is good. So be quick to listen. Bridle your speech, uh, and you know, slow to speech, and also to anger. And point seven: visit the fatherless and widows in their suffering. And this is an area. Uh, if Any any ministries out there, or any people wanting to go and help others, I would definitely start with there the 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 orphans and the widows. Uh, helping them out for they are the ones who are without a complete family as, as we were designed to be uh, in the 12 tribes. Uh, and lastly, I got here sh- shown by the word of truth, every good gift comes from the light of the father and with him, there is no change nor alteration of light and darkness. So I want to point out those uh, two points. First seven and the second seven that I pulled from this chapter and then circle back around with some more commentary. But I'll hand it over to Michael to add to this. Michael, all yours.
2: Awesome, Rob. Thank you so much. Shabbat shalom. Um, if I sound different, I've been sick all week. So that's the reason. Um, I'm going to start off kind of like an overview, like I usually do with these new chapters or these new books. Um, so the writer himself, you know, the writer refers to himself only as James, a servant of Yah and of Yeshua HaMashiach. Um, uh, let's let's talk about that. So Yeshua had two apostles named James, James the son of Zebedee and James the son of Alphaeus. But it's unlikely that either of these wrote the letter. So um, some have said the authorship of this epistle points to James, the brother of Yeshua, to whom, you know, Yeshua evidently had made a special appearance after his resurrection. Because... Uh, but that being said, James, the brother of James, was not a follower of Yeshua before he died, according to John 7, 2 through 5, which states that during Yeshua's life, not even his brothers believed in him. So if if this is the brother of Yeshua, um, it was post-resurrection when he believed in him. That's pretty cool. Um, so the non-canonical Gospel of Thomas, take that for what, it, what you want, confirms that Yeshua, after his resurrection, names Jesus, or Jesus, Names James as the leader of his disciples So, quoting that book uh, The disciples said to Jesus, or Yeshua We know that you will depart from us Who will be our leader? Yeshua said to them Where you are, you are to go to James the Just For whose heaven and earth came into existence James the Just is also mentioned in Acts So that's pretty cool if that's true That Yeshua you know, says to go to James um, Now we want to, and I, I know Noel's probably got hit on this But, um just like Jew, just like Revelation, there's a lot of these church fathers that don't like these books. And the Protestant reformer Martin Luther said he, he denied it was the work of an apostle and termed it an epistle of straw. He once claims that although James names Christ, he teaches nothing about him. Wow. But only speaks of general faith in God. Luther even went so far as to assert in one place that some Jew wrote the letter of James, who probably learned about Christian people but never encountered any. Wow, that's pretty harsh. And that's that's Martin Luther right there. All right, now for my commentary. I'm going to split it up. I'll do three on the first, first half. So number two, we're going to read that. Let's see. My beloved brothers, consider it as joy when you fall into a trial. Okay, so I want to point out that, you know, he, uh, it says when you know, when you fall into a trial. It's not say if or you know, you might when. So basically expect to fall into trial as a as a brother, you know, or as a you know follower of Yah. When. Um okay, so I was struggling for a lot of decent nuggets on James. So there will be many cross references and I'll try to explain the connection. Um so consider it joy as you fall into a trial. So the first one would be first Peter one. Uh, starting on six <clears throat> in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials same word so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which perishes though tested by fire may be found to result in praise glory and honor at the revelation of Yeshua um so what, what is this telling you everyone's going through trials it's a you're you're trying to refine yourself more to be more precious than gold. Um and that perishes through the testing by fire. Um and then I thought this was interesting, which may be found at his revelation of Yeshua. So if this is I don't know when this was written, but if this was before you know, some of us believe when Yeshua came back, you know, it's kind of, you know, instantaneous like a um a promise. <clears throat> okay. Uh number six, I'm gonna read the Hebrew. But he must pray in faith. And not in doubting, for whosoever is doubtful, he is like a pair of balances on the sea. So, doubting. I've, I've doubted a lot in my life. Um, he is like a pair of balances on the sea. Now, this an awesome cross-reference for this one is Luke 8. Um, now, on one of those days, Yeshua and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger they came up to yeshua and woke him saying master master we are perishing and he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped (laughs) and in it became calm so so when we doubt it's like surging waves when yeshua rebuked the wind because you're basically not trusting him like you know you know you're going through this life you know as a child of god Yeshua is there with you. He's he's there for you, and if you're doubting, you're you're like basically waking them up. You know these waves are crashing in on you, and you're scared. You think you're gonna die, and he you know he, he rebukes the wind and he calms you down. But that also is a lack of faith. So I just wanted to quote that. Uh, finally, number eleven. This time I'll read the Greek. So, for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. So two cross references. Um, Mark 4. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And when the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. (coughs) And then Matthew 20. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, Those who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne that burden of his work and the scorching heat. (coughs) So the scorching heat is the same as, you know, when the sun had risen, it it was scorched. So in James it's saying, (coughs) For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat. So that's the same word. It's talking about the rich man, you know, in the passage... Prior that I didn't read. Um, He was made low because the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. So the rich man in James is also like the parable of the sower, when seed fell on rocky ground and the sun scorched it. Also in the parable of the workers, which is one of my favorite parables, they were all complaining about receiving the same wage and had to do the work and had to work the whole day instead of the one hour in the scorching heat. So it kind of gives us some perspective. <clears throat> in my opinion, you know, the parable of the workers is talking about your salvation. So, whether you were in the faith for twenty years or you you just got in, you know, you're gonna get the same reward, and we should be excited for that person instead of you know fleshly and you know, prideful that we we did it longer than they did. So, I just want to link it to the James passage that the rich. I'll read it again. But the rich, in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass. You shall pass away <coughs> for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower there falleth and in the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. So, so yeah, don't let that scorching heat get to you and wither you away. I have a lot on the second part, but I'll pass it off to Nona.
0: Well, I hope you feel better here uh, soon, Michael. And I'm actually really surprised that I was expecting everyone to be stealing each other's thunder and so far it hasn't happened now we'll see in the second part because i think that's where we'll be there'll be a land grab there uh but we'll see how that goes anyways so starting out uh in yaakov chapter one verse one we see who the letter is written to to the twelve tribes which are scattered into all the places Now, the cognitive dissonance of reading this so many times and not recognizing this was never written to the Gentiles was through the roof. And as Michael was saying, there's a reason why this book has been despised by many. And um, it it just, you know, some pastors will just be in honest moments, will just kind of throw up their hands and say, uh, this doesn't match with any of the theology we have in um, the church, in Christianity. This just goes against all of it. I mean, this is so purely, as they would say, Jewish. This is a a Hebrew book, undoubtedly. And um, now the title of this Sabbath group is The Diaspora of Yashorel. I didn't go over this in the introduction. I don't think I did. I might have. I- may, you know, have short-term memory loss, but it refers to the fact that we are the scattered tribes of what? Of Yasherel. The Diaspora of Yasherel. That's what the diaspora is. We are descended from those who rebelled against the law of Yahuwah and as such were cast out of the land. Who did Yehusha come for? The lost sheep of Yasherel. He says so. That's who he came for. It only makes sense then that the apostles would seek out those lost sheep. If this letter has landed into your hand and you seek to be in a covenant with uh, Yahusha, as well as his father, Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim, then this is written to you. That's an exciting thought. The fact that Israel is our story. It is our spiritual heritage. We are grafted into it. And of course, because we're not in the land, we are still scattered all over the earth. Here we are, uh, right, right this very moment. We've got people from multiple continents listening in. All claiming to to, uh, be a part of Yasharel. Now, the second, uh, really the theme of this entire book is faith. Uh, Faith and lack of faith. And it seems like in in Yaakov's day, there was a lot of, um, you know, they were probably wrestling with a lot of Greek uh, theology even back then. And it seems to me I was, really over, I was really taken back just reading the first two chapters this week and preparing my notes on how Yaakov spends so much time defining what faith is. And once again, his definition of faith, as we will see, goes completely against everything we're taught, what faith is. I mean, if you talk to a Christian what faith is, most likely they would say, like, uh, I believe that Jesus came. You know, maybe they'll say he was born of a virgin. He was sinless. He lived a sinless life. And he died and he resurrected and he ascended to heaven. And he's, you know, the king of, you know, the kingdom of heaven or whatever. And they believe this. And so they are citizens of heaven now. They believe it and they, they live their life as a citizen of heaven. That's what they believe. That's what faith is for them. And to a Hebrew, that is not what faith is. In fact, the commenter, the translators of this book, in the, I had to check because I'm like, why did they not put faithfulness? If you go back to the Old Testament, like uh, I think it's uh, Habakkuk 2.8, it says faithfulness. But then when you get to the New Testament, we lose the faithfulness and we insert faith. Well, wh- what do you know? The Hebrew word here is faithfulness. I don't know why the translators didn't just say faithfulness. He should say, Yaakov 1, three and know that your faithfulness, when it is complete, makes long suffering. Again, it literally says faithfulness. Hebrew faith is both uh, the Hebrew idea of faith is both believing and doing, side by side. There is no separation in Hebrew thinking, at least in ancient Hebrew thinking. I don't know about modern Hebrew thinking or Jewish thinking, but in ancient Hebrew thinking, there is no separation. Uh, Faith is not a thinking system; it is a doing. Why did the commenters again say not put faithfulness? I don't know. But they, they do it a few times in here. All right, so then we jump over to Yaakov 1.5, and this is what it says. But if there is one among you who lacks wisdom, he must pray, uh, pray for it of Yahuwah. I was actually surprised that um, uh, Rob and Michael didn't touch on wisdom here. I thought they might delve into that. And I just wanted to point out here that when uh, he says here, he must pray for it of Yahuwah. Who gives to every man so we see that in uh, we see that all throughout scripture i just threw in a quick uh, verse here psalm one eleven ten. the fear of yahuwah is the beginning of what of wisdom a good understanding of all those who do his commandments his praise and dears forever so in order you know there is a connection here about fearing yahuwah and doing his commandments and then receiving wisdom and, of course, I love this how it says here, a good understanding have those who do his commandments. So if you, uh, if you read the Bible and you understand that it is telling you to be obedient to the Most High if you want to be in a covenant with him, then you have, according to the psalmist of 111, a good understanding. All right, moving on down uh, the uh, track here, Yaakov 1.6. I love this description here. But he must pray in faith and not in doubting for whosoever is doubtful he is like a pair of balances on the sea now literally balances here is like scales. Like you think of the, you know, the, the blind, um, I think it's a goddess, you know, whatever the statue she's, and she's holding out the scales and, but she's got like a, you know, uh, coverings over her eyes. And in the Greek, you know, this is a popular phrase about, uh, no, let me actually just read it here. I don't have it in front of me, but, but here we go. Uh, but let Uh, For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Now, I get that, you know, but the thing is, is that a sailor on the ocean, there's nothing wrong with riding the waves. In fact, I would think that you could be a pretty strong individual if you have your sea legs and you're out there, you know, riding the waves all day as a fisherman. And in the Hebrew, we see he doesn't say that. What he says is actually a very unique picture, and it makes way more sense. A pair of scales on the sea would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And uh, this is, of course, another theme of this book about imbalanced scales and how that is actually breaking Torah. So, so let's keep at it. Let's keep going down here and see how this develops. All right. Let's see. Okay. Again, though, we literally see faithfulness in Yaakov 1, uh, six. He must pray in faithfulness, not in belief that he believes Jesus exists. He must be faithful and when he prays. Therefore, doubting would also be an action. All right. It would be a lack of belief and as a result, a lack of doing. What do you do? So, the question I want to ask everyone here is what do you do in doubt? Now, here, because we are a community of truth seekers, there is uh, there's a lot of doubt that happens. A doubt is a gripe. I've seen more people in the last couple of years fall away because they listened to the doubt. It has been shock and awe, just awe-inspiring how many people I thought were solid with Yah, who loved Yahushua. They came to the truth movement. They wanted to seek out uh, the truth and point out all the lies of the world because of their love of Messiah. And they fell away. There's been so many. And so I want to ask everyone here because I get get people who're writing me all the time. They read my work and they just confess, you know, I'm I'm really struggling. I'm really, you know, I've read some stuff. I've looked into stuff and I'm really struggling right now. I'm doubting. They might not use the word doubt, but it is what it is. Like they're it's almost like I I um I sense by the time they talk to me about it, it's almost too late for most people. If you, you can think about it like this. If you have a car and you um uh you know, we have a diesel truck and it, it still runs really good. It's over it's uh twenty years old now. If you have a truck or a car and you don't take it in for oil changes and tune-ups and tire rotations and it starts to run down, pretty soon you're going to take it into the mechanic and the mechanic's like, I got to get this whole engine here. You know? and, and, but, but if you're doing your regular tune-ups, you're going to get that car running for decades if it's a good car, of course. And that's what, that's what our faithfulness is like, people who are not faithful. And then all of a sudden the doubt hits and they're like, I don't know what to do. They're They're, perils, they're a pair, pair. Excuse me. A pair of scales on the sea. They don't know what to do. They, they're in despair at this point, and you got to get out the whole engine. They're done. They're toast. So that's the question I want to ask you. What do you do in doubt? It hits all of us. I've been in doubt. I, I I've I've hit points of like of serious doubt. Well, what you do is you remain obedient. That's the old trick. That's what Yaakov. The whole point of this book. Faithful. You remain faithful. Even in doubt, the doubt will then fall away. And usually, if you, if you uh, cling, cling to it, if you, you hang in there, you come out on the other end far richer in knowledge than those who listened to the doubt to begin with and fell away. I can tell you there's been a couple of times where I've gone through serious crisis of faith, and oh, man, I just, I just clung on to the Messiah. And... And I would, I would just pray, like, everything might be a lie, everything might be false, but I know that you are the truth. And I'm telling you, like, when, when the pieces come back together again, it, the, the picture is so much more crystal clear than beforehand. This is what we read in uh, John fourteen twenty one. Well, Actually, let me, before I do that, let me read John 14, uh, verses 15 through 18, same chapter. This is what Yahushua our Messiah tells us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. For all the cognitive dissonance out there, uh, I'm just going to repeat this. And if you want to make this a broken record and just play this back for like however long it takes, seven weeks, you know, a year in your house, just over and over and over again. Just play this back. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay. He did not write down for us any other commandments other than what his father gave him. Okay, there is no book of Jesus where he gives us 613 new commandments. It doesn't exist. All right? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. We've already seen this with wisdom. The spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you do know him, for he abides with you and you and will be in you. I have some... Serious hesitations about the hymn there, uh, but we'll leave that for another time. And here's, the, here's a huge key to the book of Yaakov, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Isn't that interesting? Orphans and widows are very important to the Father. I'll talk more on that tonight. And then we jump a few verses ahead to verse 21. And so think here about faithfulness to his commandments and doubts. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, Is the one who loves me. All right. So if you want to prove that you love the Father and love Yahusha and you know Him and He knows you, keep the commandments. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love Him. And here is the here it is. Reveal myself to Him. Reveal myself to Him. Yahusha promises us that He will reveal Himself to us if we love Him by keeping His uh, Father's commandments. That's that's a really neat promise. Let's read a few more here. 1 John 2, 3, but this we can be sure that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So now it's not just love, it's knowing him. We can be certain that we know him if we keep his commandments. I suspect it has something to do with the fact that the father is like, you know, we always wonder about that verse, you know, uh, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you right? Now he says right there, you were a worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. And there's the connection right there. I suspect that it has something to do with the fact that who the most high is like, how that, you know, he's getting a report from the angels, whoever. And they're like, how that guy, he's keeping my commands. Wow. He's, he's devoted to it. I want to get to know this guy better. I think I want to spend eternity with this guy. Let, let's kind of bring him into our inner circle. And then pretty soon, because we know him, he knows us. Uh, here we go, First John 5, 3. For this is the love of Elohim, that we keep his commandments. Similar theme replayed. And his commandments are not burdensome. There is, there's the, that. Want to throw that out there, too. We can put this, make this a broken record, too, and repeat it. I know about broken records. I, I have a few broken records in my house. It's a sad uh, tale for another time. But he says this, and his commandments are not burdensome. You cannot say his commandments are burdensome. I get this all the time. People come to me and say how burdensome they are. They're not burdensome. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Second John 1, 6 says this. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. So we, you always want to say, you know, we walk as, as Jesus walked, right? As Yehusha walked. Well, it says love is walking according to his commandments, because that's how Yahushua walked, according to his commandments. This is the very commandment you have heard from the beginning, that you must walk in love. All right, and there's so much more I want to uh, cover here, but I think this is a good cutoff point. So uh, I'll let Rob and Michael take over the second half of the chapter. Back to you, Rob.
1: Okay. Yeah, uh, I'll just add back to... um, Back on the first chapter here, one other thing I want to add is the differences in the greek and the hebrew we see in verse 11 there's been in the greek it has for the sun is no sooner risen with with the burning heat is not, not in the hebrew and also so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways but it has the essence of the of the verse still there so it, you know whether it was added or uh, just to give in more detail, or not, it, it's not taking anything away. So I didn't really, really comment comment on that one. In verse twenty one, it, it's uh, completely not there in the Hebrew, and it, it once again it doesn't really necessarily take away or add. It, it seems to be just additional detail on that. Wherefore, lay apart filthiness and superfluity, or naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So I think it's more or less, to me, reiterating uh, that that Greek verse to, uh, uh, you know, engrafted the word, to be obedient to the word and lay apart from the sin. So to me, it's it's supporting what it's talking about when it's saying, uh, you know, for us to be obedient, and and walk in in the word, so I had no more to add on to that other than where it's talking about the be of those who do the word, and not of those who hear only. So I think it's supporting that, even though it's uh, not in the Hebrew. And one of the key things that I I really enjoyed on this is it, on re-reading this that you know we are blessed in our deeds, things that we do. You We're know, performing them in obedience to the law of joy. I, I like the way it's termed here, the law of joy, and not forget what was heard. So those of us who are you know reading on a daily basis or or doing the parsha every every weekend and, and participating in studies and c- consistently having uh, the word within us so that we may not forget and that we can perform in obedience it is go- we're, We are going to be blessed in the things that we do. Uh, and whether it is blessed in this world or the world beyond, because as he, as he tells us here, you know, endure to the end. So that way we do not lack anything. And these trials that we go through, I just want to reiterate is for our refinement and for us to see beyond the physical and and walk in spirit and truth um with that i'll pass over to michael i know you got one over to you, all right thank
2: you yeah yeah hopefully my voice can last this is my biggest part of the night because i don't have much on the next chapter but uh let's give it a shot so uh number 18 i'll read the hebrew and uh and he was shown to us according to his will by the word of truth that we can be first, first fruits of his creation. I want to talk about first fruits. Um, let's see. So, the offering of the first fruits of the harvest occurs in the week of Passover Lemon Bread Festival. And it, it is a ceremony performed which commences the marking off of time to the feast of first Fruit, which is called Shavuot or Pentecost. So, this was instituted, someone has a memorial, of Moses, a type of Messiah, presenting Israel as an offering to the Father after he completed the work of delivering them from the dominion of the enemy, Pharaoh of Egypt. So in the period of the temple, as the Sabbath during the first day of lemon bread and the priest went to a field on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and I'm not going to pronounce this word, Scythe, in Scythe the measure of the first ripe choice, barley grain, so the first fruits of the crop, which had earlier been marked out by the members of the Sanhedrin. It was to be offered in the temple on the day after the Sabbath. So Leviticus twenty three eleven says, You know, it was prepared the evening before, and the sheaf made of fine flour, and oil was lifted up or waved before yahweh in a ceremony at 9 a.m on that morning together with the sacrifice of a lamb and a sweet-smelling offering to yahweh so each family also as yahweh commanded brought, brought a single bundle of their first fruit of the barley crop to the temple on the day after the sabbath of the first day of unleavened bread uh, which is high sabbath and the priests would then wave it before yahweh so this was considered the early first fruits the latter first fruits being at the end of the 50th day from this time which from the Greek word has been called Pentecost, meaning 50 or Shavuot in Hebrew. So the intervening 50 days in between the two first fruits were to be counted day by day. And it was called counting the Omer. So a lot of people you'll hear hear that, we're in that season right now. So the barley was ready to harvest. So they waved their sacrifice at the temple and began the harvest right away. Um, Let's see. So the Hebrew word for sheaf is Omer and the Omer was the measure of the barley using the banking loaf. All right. so couple of passages that say Messiah was our first fruits in both in First Corinthians fifteen. So but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep. So in twenty three, but each in turn Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Um we we during a revelation study we talked about the hundred and forty four thousand being first fruits as well. Maybe that's who that's talking about there. Okay, number twenty one <coughs> read the Hebrew, let's see. Actually, I can't read the Hebrew. (laughs) That's part of my notes because it's missing. So, uh, in the Greek, it says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So, I just wanted to point out that that it's not in Hebrew. And, you know, I have this affinity for, you know, salvation and what that entails. And and I just found it interesting that that's totally missing in the Hebrew. Um, uh, Let's go to 23. This one, I have a lot on this one. So this is my big one for the night. So, in the Greek, it says, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man. He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And in the Hebrew, it says, for if one is who hears the word but does not do it, he is like a man who sees himself in the mirrors of the serving woman. That's a huge difference. Huge difference. Um I'm gonna to have, to t- to have to talk about those serving women and the mirrors. So it's mentioned twice in uh you know the Tanakh in Old Testament, Exodus thirty eight seven it says this is uh, then he inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which to carry it. He made it hollow with planks. Moreover, he made the basin of bronze with this base of bronze from the mirrors of the serving women who served the doorway at the of meeting. So that's pretty crazy that uh, the, the women who were at the doorway of the Tent of Meeting, they had mirrors made of bronze, and that's what was used as the base. 1 um, Samuel 2.22. Now Eli was very old, and he heard about everything that his sons were doing to all of Israel, and that they slept with women who served at the doorway of the Tent of Meeting. Interesting. All right, so... Our favorite, Josephus, in the Antiquity of the Jews, he states, um, they, the sons of Eli, talking about what I just read in 1 Samuel, also were guilty of impurity with the women that came to worship Yahweh at the tabernacle, obliging some to submit to their lust by force and enticing others by bribes. So Josephus here suggests that the women had come to worship or make offerings, perhaps after giving birth. And this is a commentary. Um, So basically, these women gathered around the entrance and donated their copper mirrors to the making of the basin, where the priests would wash before entering the sanctuary. When Yah ordered Moses to make the tabernacle of meeting, he ordered him to make the bronze laver and place it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and to place it in water for Aaron and his sons to wash their hands and feet when they enter the tabernacle of meeting or when they approach the altar. And whoever does not wash dies. Yet what is amazing is that when Moses made all that is a bronze tabernacle of meeting, he made it from the bronze that was offered by the people. Yet only the labor did Moses make from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door. So the mirrors at that time were made extremely polished bronze to a degree that it makes it like a mirror that reflects images in a very high quality and also reflects the sun rays. (coughs) So it seems that these women of the children of Israel were assembled for the service at the door of the tent of meeting. This is his opinion, had been influenced by the habits of the Egyptian women who would carry offerings to the temple, two round sun reflective bronze mirrors symbolic of the second birth and fertility so these people these ladies were not the only ones who were at the door of the tent of meeting so Leviticus 8 4 tells us from the time from time to time the entire congregation met near the door individuals like Hannah came there to make vows and requests and to offer sacrifices uh, Numbers 27 2 tells us that the daughters of Zelophehad approached the door with a request for their rightful inheritance um, if you remember that story, um, number 610 tells us that some rituals related to the Nazarite vow were performed at the door. So, so many activities occurred at the door of the tabernacle. But neither Hannah nor, nor the daughters of Zelophehad, nor female Nazarite vow Nazarites, were said to sabah or to serve near the door. They simply came to perform certain vows and sacrifices, where these women were serving at the door. Um, so let me try to recap there so I guess let's see where am i twenty three so I don't know let's talk about that for if one who is here who hears the word but does not do it he is like a man who sees himself in the mirrors of a serving woman I'll point that to you guys as a question what do you guys think that means in the Hebrew um uh, now that I kind of you know <clears throat> articulated what the what that meant all right, two left. Hand it off to Noel number 26. Read the Hebrew, or read both actually. If any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And in the Hebrew it says, however, if one, one among you thinks by himself that he serves Yahweh, but does not keep his tongue with a bridle, but deceives his heart, this service of Yahweh is not good. So if you notice the difference, if any among you seem to be religious, the Hebrew says, "If any among you thinks that you are serving Yahweh, if you do not bridle your tongue, you're deceiving yourself." So, so in the Greek, you can get you know, pretty judgmental. You know, oh, they're just being religious. Uh, that's why they're not serving him. But in the Hebrew, it says, "You know, if you even think you're serving yourself, you're serving the Most High, but do not contain your tongue, you're deceiving yourself." Uh, that's huge. That's a huge difference. Um, that just shows you the power of the tongue it comes like a sword, and you know the tongue is, you know, <coughs> basically talking what your heart wants, you know, what your heart is thinking. Um, so you're not serving him. So you got to get that under wraps there. And finally, uh, number twenty-seven, but the, but the pure service without lack before Yahweh the Father is this: he who goes to visit the fatherless ones and the widows and their distresses. So. I'll end it with a cross-reference. Jeremiah 14:29. the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that Yahweh may bless you in all your work of your hand in which you do. These are commandments, what we're supposed to do. And um, I guess it's just subconsciously, like, I don't, for whatever reason, I, I'm assuming <laughs> or that everybody's listened to our wisdom study and, you know, talks. You know, knows our position on it. But I guess you know we have new visitors all the time. So that's, I guess, you know, I got to start just making sure I talk about it every time it comes up. Um, but uh, you know, in this particular sentence, you know, what we would we made the claim that you know there's a there's a holy family in heaven, um, Father Ruach, and then the Son. And the reason why orphans and widows are so important to the Father is because you're breaking the family unit. So he he as above so below he told he told us what he has up there what he wants down here that's why there's an attack on the nuclear family and if if a spouse dies or they lose their kids they're shattered they are shattered why it's because they're breaking the family nuclear unit and as Israel we need to you know we need to take care of them I'll end it on that note and I'll hand it off to Noel.
0: Well, it happened. Uh... <laughs> lightning thunder uh thunder stolen so i had a lot of notes on the mirror women as well and i think i'll still have a few to go over so i just gave it away for the second half i will be talking about women uh namely two kinds of women righteous women and unrighteous women there are women who as the help lead a man to life and then there are women who lead a man to death so this really st- uh, stuck out me, at me here in Yaakov, verses 14 through 15. I will read these again. And this is, of course, talking about temptation and sin. Let no one say when a temptation comes on him, this comes from Yahuwah. For Yahuwah does not tempt man with evil, and he is not tempted by anyone. Only everyone is tempted when his desire co- overcomes him. And afterwards, if he accepts the desire, it causes the sin. But the sin, when it is completed, causes the death. And I was really, that really uh, jumped out at me there. Causes the death. There were immediately many scriptural references that came to mind throughout wisdom literature, Proverbs, uh, probably the Psalms. And here I'll read two or three of them right here. It will rescue you from the forbidden woman, from the stranger with seductive words, who abandons the partner of her youth and forgets the covenant of her Elohim. For her house sinks down to death, and her tracks to the departed Ruach. None who go to her return or negotiate the path of life. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Here's another from Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Incline your heart to my insight, that you may maintain discretion, and your lips may preserve knowledge though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. In the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to Sheol. She does not consider the path of life. She does not know that her ways are unstable. And then we see again here in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 25 through 27. It's all throughout. Of course, I'm not going to read them all. This will be the last one. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. I actually really like that phrase. It almost sounds like a horror movie, you know, like the chamber, you know, or the the house of hell, or the way to hell, or something like that. I don't know, but uh, and you know, this is just Yaakov reminding us that when we sin uh, to the point of death. Uh, it is by our own desire. Like, the Torah will fall away, the law, the law will be broken, uh, we will be led away from it to our destruction, but it was by our desire all along. I mean, the picture being given here in these passages is like a man looking down from his window at the street, and there is a, a, uh, seductive, a seductress woman down there, a woman of the night, and he just keeps looking at her and thinking about her and desiring her, you know, and it's like, what business does he have to do that? Why is he standing there doing it? Why is he now leaving his house and going down the stairs and walking down the street by the lamplight to meet her? Right. And um, so he is he is being led to his death by his own desire. Um, and, you know, th- this is again, this is on the the, the theme of faithfulness. right? And uh, and doubt, and we doubt because you know that, that's a that's a he seems to be counterbalancing that here in Yaakov between faithfulness and doubt, and of course falling away and finally being led to our death. Now I'm going to touch here about the mirror women, and I won't go over the the passages that uh, Michael talked on. One was in Exodus 38, and then he talked about interestingly enough the. Uh, the, the sons of Samuel were going and bedding with the, the, the mirror women in the door of the tabernacle. But there's something that is, let me just go over this again because I'm not sure all that he touched on on this. The, 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 Lav- the laver of bronze was a wash basin, probably, used by priests in the tabernacle in the wilderness, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, as a place where they cleansed their hands and feet. So before they could go make a sacrifice or go into the presence of the Most High, they had to wash their hands and feet. This was a type of baptism. What do we do when we baptize ourselves, when we cleanse ourselves? We are repenting of our transgressing the law. And I tell people this all the time. Yahuwah has called us to be priests in his kingdom. We are expected to be priests. And this idea of, of baptism, of dipping ourselves in water... And should be a regular um, instance. And I tell people, like, when you take a shower, take a bath, use that time to repent of your sins, to, you know, to ask the Father to be washed clean and uh, turn away from them. You know, you're not just washing your body, you're heart, washing your heart and your soul. And so think about that with what Yaakov is talking about, that you would go look at your uh, face in a mirror and uh, this, this, this wash basin... And you forget what you look like. You, you, you just, you, you don't even repent. You're cleansing yourself for what purpose? You're unbalanced. You're unstable. You're not, it doesn't mean anything to you, right? You, you don't have faith. You could say you believe, but you don't because you're unstable. Uh, so, anyways, so let's see here. What else going back to this? Oh, yeah. So, the wash basin, another way of looking at it in the tabernacle is it was a way to reflect upon your, your life and I've already gone over this. The wash basin uh, used in the tabernacle was... Um, okay, anyways. Was, uh, all right, so let's see. Did he, wa- did he read 3020? When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister, to b- burn a food offering to Yahuwah, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. Now, this is for the priest, all right? Now, keep in mind, yeah, these are the Levite priests, but we are all called to be priests. So where w- might we go that we might die if we don't wash first in the basin where we could see our own reflection. Now, he went over here again, the, the second uh, labor was much larger. And in the temple, it was large enough that the depth of the water in the bronze laver seems to indicate it was like 47 feet in circumference with a depth of 7.5 feet. So, I mean, I'm 5'11". So I could stand in that and be completely submerged. That's, that's pretty deep. It seems to in, uh, indicate that priests completely immerse themselves in it, like a baptism. This is what Yocan and the Baptist was going around doing, immersing people that they might repent for the kingdom of heaven. So this is what we see. Oh, this is what we see in uh, Yahu, Jeremiah chapter 52, 17. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of Yahuwah And the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of Yahuwah, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all the bronze to Babylon. So he's saying in the Babylonian captivity uh, that, you know, they they destroyed it. They, They carried it away. But what I like there is he calls it the bronze sea, which immediately reminded me of Revelation. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Why would there be a sea of glass before the throne? Maybe because people are going into his presence and they have to wash in it. I would include the angels in that as well. I have a feeling that the angels, anybody, anybody in heaven, a creature, animal, person, divine being, uh, other Elohim, they, if, if they want to go before the throne, they better wash themselves if they want to live and not die. Like, you better be repenting of your sins. If you're even up there in a sinner, remember when uh, Isaiah went up there and he's screaming, you know, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Like he, he knew like he was in some serious bit, like he was in some serious trouble because uh, he was there and he hadn't gone through the right ceremony. Well, I like to quote this a lot. And this comes from the first book of Adam and Eve. Um, and this is probably one of my favorite passages in the whole book. And this is what it says into the North of the garden, uh, the garden of Eden, There is a sea of water, there it is again, the bronze sea or the crystal sea, clear and pure to the taste, unlike anything else, so that through the clearness thereof, one may look into the depths of the earth. Hmm. And when a man washes himself in it, he becomes clean of the cleanness thereof. And Elohim created that sea of his own good pleasure for he knew that would come of the ma- what, he knew what would come of the man he would make so that after he had left the garden on account of his transgression men should be born in the earth among them are righteous ones who will die whose souls Elohim would raise at the last days when all of them will return to their flesh bathe in the water of the sea and repent of their sins But when Elohim made Adam go out of the garden, he did not place him on the border of it northward. This was so that he and and Hava would not be able to go near to the sea of water where they could wash themselves in it, be cleansed from their sins, erase the transgression they had committed, and be no longer reminded of it in the thought of their punishment. Right, I got a couple more here. This comes from uh, the Hebrew Gospel of Yocanon, chapter 7, 16 through 17. Yeshua answered and said, My teaching is not mine, but it is from him who sent me. If any man desires to do the desire of El, he will recognize the teaching, whether it's from El or if his word is from himself. Actually, I don't know why I included that there. It's still a good verse, but let's read the next one. And Okay, this one comes from the Hebrew Gospel of Mark 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world... Preach the word of the King of the Heavens to every cre- creation. He who believes and is dipped, he will be saved. But he who does not will be destroyed. That's really interesting now. Because he, again, he's referring, like, if, if Christians are wondering, like, why do I have to be baptized to be saved? Because you're going to be standing in the presence of the Most High. You better be baptized. You better dip yourself. That's Torah, baby. That goes all the way back to the tabernacle. You, you're, if you're a priest... You walk into there into the presence of the Most High, you don't dip yourself, you don't wash, you're in big trouble. So think about what Yaakov is saying. Again, when he's saying, he's talking about people who are looking into this wash basin. They're washing themselves. They see the reflection there, and they walk away, and they don't even know what they look like. All right, with that, I'm going to be handing it back to Rob. I think we're just going to delve right into Chapter 2, unless... I think we should just save discussion for the end. I don't know how you, you Rob, and Michael feel about that. But, uh, Rob, are you up to reading chapter two?
1: Yes, I'm ready.
0: Michael, I don't think you had anything else to add, correct?
1: I did not. Nope.
0: All right, take it away.
1: All right. Beloved brothers. Do not think that the faith in Yeshua HaMashiach, Aradon respects persons. For when one arrives at the house of judgment with a golden ring and with lovely clothes, and also a poor one with worthless clothes, and you show respect to him who wears lovely clothes and says to him, sit by us on the good seat and say to the poor, stand there or sit at our feet. Then they will will not look justly, they sorry, then they will not look justly on this poor one, but you will be judges who make a bad division. Listen to me, beloved brothers. Did not Yahuwah choose the poor ones in this world, who are rich in faith, and possessors of the promise which He promised to those who love him? But you You put the poor to shame. As for the rich ones, it is not they who do everything to you with force. Is it not they who do everything to you with force and bring you out through the judgment? And do they not reproach and blaspheme the good name of he whom you yourselves call upon? If you perform the law as it is written in the Torah, but you... But you must love your fellow as yourself. You do good. But if you have respect to man, you do sin and are convicted by the law uh, as transgressors. For if one establishes the whole Torah, all of it, but sins against one command, he is guilty of the whole. For he who said, you must not commit adultery. He also said, you must not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you transgress the law. Because of this, you must speak and do as those who will be judged by the law with joy. But severe judgment will come on him who did not perform mercy, for the mercy boasts against the judgment. And what profit is there, beloved brothers, if one says that he has the faith, but he does not have the works? For this faith does not have the ability to sanctify him. For if there is a brother or sister who lacks to sustain themselves every day, and one of you speaks words of comfort to them, may, quote, may Yahweh give you grat- gratification, end quote but he does not give them anything to profit the body, what profit will they have by these works? So the faith, if it does not have the works, is dead by itself. Truly, one is able to say, you have the faith, but I have the works. Bear me witness of your faith with your works. I am also bearing witness to you of my faith, for I have works. You, you believe that Yahweh is one. You do well. The Satans also believe so, and they tremble. But do you want to know that the faith without works is dead? Was not our father Abraham justified by his works when he brought his son as an offering on the altar? And by this you yourself, are able to see that the faith worked with his works. And by the works, the faith was made complete or whole. And by this, the Torah was fulfilled, which is said, quote, And Abraham believed in Yahweh, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And now you are able to see that man is justified by the works and not only by the faith. And this, <clears throat> sorry, and like this, of the harlot, was she not justified by the works when she received the spies and hid them? For as the body without Ruach is dead, so the faith without works is also. That concludes chapter two. And I'll pass this over, I believe, to Michael.
2: You believe correctly. Shabbat Shalom again for those just joining us. Um I'm going to start on verse one. So beloved brothers, do not think that the faith, faith in Yeshua Hamashiach are adon respects persons. And uh in the Greek it says with respect of persons. So partiality and partiality. So Leviticus 19:15, <coughs> you shall not you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial. To the poor, nor defer to the great, but you were to judge your neighbor fairly. Isaiah eleven, one of my favorite chapters, talks about the seven spirits, but it also talks about a righteous judge. So Isaiah eleven four, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with their equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. So, before that, it says he's not before that in this chapter. It says he's not going to judge by what he sees or what he hears, but by righteousness he shall judge. So, like the Leviticus verse, you're not you're not being partial to somebody just because they're poor. You're not deferring someone just because they're greater, you know, rich or anything. Um, judge them fairly. Based on what? Based on what? Righteousness, Torah. Um, so, earlier Rob was talking about James and the wisdoms, uh, the, the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. And when I posted it, It um, let's see, I'll it here again and read it. But the wisdom from above is first clean, peaceable, gentle, ready to obey. (laughs) I laugh because, uh, yeah, because if you know, in our opinion, wisdom is a holy quote unquote spirit set apart spirit, you would be if you had it, you'd be ready to obey, (laughs) you wouldn't fight it, um, filled with compassion and good fruits without partiality. Without partiality so if you have wisdom you're you are you can you know you're not judging based on appearance right and without hypocrisy um, The next one number two this is my law one in this this chapter When one arrives at the house of judgment with a golden ring and with lovely clothes and also a poor one with worthless clothes in the Greek it says uh, I just want to point out the difference for their for if they come unto your assembly a man so assembly or in the house of judgment but that was interesting that that's a huge difference there but uh <coughs> this first actually kind of led me down to rich man and lazarus lazarus so i wanted to speak more on that um so i'm paraphrasing to his disciples and some pharisees yeshua tells of an unnamed rich man and a beggar named lazarus when, when both of them die the rich man goes to Sheol, or hell and, and implores Abraham to send Lazarus from his side to warn the rich man's family from sharing his faith. Abraham replies, what did he reply? He said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if some ri- someone rises from the dead. Um, you know, Yeshua asked what I have to do to be saved. He says, keep the, keep the commands. Abraham says the same thing. Um, so i want to relate it back to james so these are in my opinion this is kind of another you know symbology golden ring rich comes in with lovely clothes you're looking at him you're like oh this guy must be something important or a poor one with worthless clothes um some more on rich man and lazarus which i thought was really awesome so lazarus in the greek it, uh, is the greek form of the word Eli- eliezer so eliezer is the name of abraham's servant Eleazar was from damascus so abram said sovereign lord what can you give me since i remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is eliezer of damascus so think about this for a second father abraham the ultimate you know hebrew of the faith he has a gentile servant whom he loves like a son it's this gentile servant whom abraham seems to find a bride for his son isaac eliezer is faithful so although he's not a direct descendant of abraham he remains a committed servant so this is what this is saying. What is Yeshua saying? He's comparing the Pharisee to the rich man, saying to them, a Gentile servant who is faithful to the will of Abraham will recline at the table with Abraham, but you, the very sons of Abraham, will not. So um, it must, basically this commentary says this nuisance would have been sensed by a first century Jewish Pharisee because they took pride in being the sons of Abraham. So they naturally assume that they would inherit Abraham's estate um, just because of the bloodline. So basically he's saying, you know, the poor man will, was on the right side of Sheol, um, while the rich man was not, and asked to be dipped in water. And I forgot what Shepherd Enoch, I think 21. That, 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 that's a good chapter if you guys want to read more about the depths of Sheol and the different layers. Um, number five, read the Hebrew. Listen to me, my beloved brothers. Did not Yahweh choose the poor ones in this world who are rich in faith and possessors of the promise, which he promised to have those who love them in the hebrew or in the greek sorry it says let's see it says the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom so i thought that was that was the, the difference between the two heirs of the kingdom and possessors of the promise in the hebrew i mean obviously they're, they're interchangeable but i just thought it was interesting that it took out the, the kingdom part um i wonder i don't know if i remember i guess John didn't say, you know, Gospel of the Kingdom. I wonder if the, Matthew says that or something, Gospel of the Promise or something. Um, okay, so back to number five. So I'm going to break this up. So the, in the first part of five, it says, "Listen, my beloved brethren." So it's found in it's also found in James. Speech at the Council of Jerusalem. So if you remember at the very beginning of James one, I said he, you know, this is probably James the Just, which is also there. So in Acts fifteen. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, "Brethren, listen to me." So nowhere else in the New Testament that, that that's that's found. So that's why they assume um, this this book is written by James the Just, which would, would have been Yeshua's, you know, brother. Um, so the latter part of five um, is talking about those who are rich in faith, poor ones. Um, it reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. So Yeshua's blessings on the Sermon on the Mount uh so are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of god it's very similar in the greek to those the sermon on out um but that was cool and finally in 10 i'll split it here uh hebrew for if one establishes the whole torah all of it but sins against one command he is guilty of the whole um self-explanatory right you know if you're righteous you, you, you think you're righteous you're doing you think you're doing everything correctly but then you know, you, you sin in one part, you know, you're guilty. You deserve to die. So 4th uh, four, Maccabees 5, 19. So don't think it's a minor sin for us to eat forbidden foods, whether we disobey the law in a small matter or a big one. It is equally important because we are showing equal contempt for the law itself. I thought that was a great cross-reference, 4th Maccabees 5, 19, if you want to look it up uh, through 21 uh i'll split it up here i don't have much on james two, but i'll have to know
0: all right thank you chapter two goes over practical ways of how to live torah out and that would be of course widows uh fatherless or which is the orphans the problem of humanity remains the same now just as it did then, apparently we fail to see ourselves as widows and orphans. And I mean, us. Adopted into the family of Elohim. Did not Yahusha say he came to bring the sword? Right? I mean, we've all experienced this in our own lives. For those of us who have pursued our father's commands, we, many of us have been ostracized from our families. I mean, just, I'm hearing stories everywhere. I mean, I could give my own testimony. I don't need to. I could give hundreds of testimonies of people who are hated by their families. They essentially become widows or, or widowers or, or, or orphans. So if we do the same, if we ostracize uh, widows and orphans, then it is safe to say that we have yet to conform to the image of Yahusha HaMashiach, nor are we walking as he walked. It's all talk, just empty talk. So, of course, this is commentary really on uh, verses 2 through 3 here. I'll just read this again really quickly. Beloved brothers, do not think that the faith in Yeshua HaMashiach are, are Adon respects persons. This is, of course, a quote from Scripture. Yahuwah is not a respecter of persons. But then look what we read in Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. For Yahuwah your Elohim is the Elohim of Elohims, and Yahuwah Of, well, and uh, Yahuwah of Adon, or or say Adonai of Adonai. He is the great Elohim, the mighty and awesome Elohim, who shows no partiality, there it is, and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and and gives them food and clothing. So this is something that's really important to Yahuwah. He sees us as orphans and widows needing to be what are we we are adopted into the the family. We we can you know if we if we are saved and a huge point of difference of course is you know Christianity likes to teach you are for, you know first saved I think I touched on this earlier you are saved first and then you know you just a breeze a walk through the park you just uh you know if, if you want to you know keep sabbath is up to you if you want to eat a little pork that's down uh, just don't ask don't tell it's no big deal yeah you know y'all turns a blind eye right and the thing is though is that you know i just lost my train of thought well let's go to the next one i always i always lose my train of thought with pork i don't know why but i shouldn't have gone there it was a trap psalm ten fourteen. thou hast seen it for thou beholdest mischief and spite to require to requite it with thy hand, the poor commit himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. All right, so Yahuwah is the helper of the fatherless, the orphans. And again, that is because, oh, I was saying on the salvation point that uh, our hope is to be uh, sons of the Most High. Just as Yahushua is the only begotten son, we too hope to be sons and daughters of the Most High. What else do we got here? Psalm 68, 3 through 5. But let the... Uh, righteous rejoice let them be glad in elohim's presence let them be filled with joy there it is again joy and uh, yaakov wants us to to live out our faithfulness with joy sing praises to elohim and his name sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds his name is yahuwah rejoice in his presence and here it is father to the fatherless defender of the widows this is elohim whose dwelling is holy. And we see in Psalm 146, 8 through 10, Yahuwah opens the eyes of the blind. Yahuwah lifts up those who are weighed down. Yahuwah loves the righteous. Yahuwah protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. Psalm 82, 3 through 4, give justice to the poor and the orphan, uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. And then we see Yirmiyahu, or Jeremiah, chapter 49, 11. But I will protect the orphans who remain among you. Your widows, too, could depend on me for help. All right, let's see what else we got here. Um, here's a good one. Yaakov, chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. If you perform the law as it is written in the Torah, but you must love your fellows yourself, you do good. But if you have respect to man, because Yahuwah is no respecter of man, you do sin, so you are breaking Torah and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So this is where we see uh, one place we see it in Torah, Exodus 22. This comes just after the delivery of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. And now remember, uh, the 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 covenant is given not just to the Jewish people. The Jewish people uh, are a tribe, one tribe of twelve or thirteen. It is given to Israel alone, the house of Israel. And it is given to the stranger and the wayfarer there who were grafted in, right? And in, in all times, it doesn't matter if you weren't at Mount Sinai. If you want to be grafted in, you know, to Israel. Boom, here it is. And again, he says, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any wise, and they cry it all unto me, uh-oh, I will surely hear their cry. So this is serious now. He's like, if, 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 if a cry ascends to heaven of a widow or of an orphan, you're in, you're in deep doo-doo, to quote Jar Jar Binks. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Wow. If you lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as an usurer, neither shalt thou lay lay upon him usury. And it goes on and on from there. This just reminds me of, uh, you know, I always got to bring it back to the mud flood. You know, you look at the orphan trains, right? This is a big, hot topic. And you're like, why were there all these orphans and dead people? I don't know. He says right here, if you afflict them in any wise and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will, shall wax so hot that I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Wow. All right. Verses 10 through 13. This is what Yaakov says. For if one establishes the whole Torah, all of it, but sins against one command, he is guilty of the whole. Now, this is one of the most absurd verses I hear from people who refuse to keep Torah. They quote this to me. They slap this verse in my face like it's supposed to give them an out. What they're saying is they're incapable of keeping Torah. And since breaking one command breaks the whole of it, why even bother? That's what they're saying. But then they leave out the following line. For he who said you must not commit adultery, he also said you must not murder. So if you do, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you transgress the law. So are these people saying they're incapable of committing murder or, or not committing murder or adultery? Is it that really like they, they see the woman out in the street and they just can't help themselves? Is that what they are saying? But it doesn't end there. Just keep reading. Verse 13, because of this, you must speak and do as those who will be judged by by what? By the law. We will all be We will have the book thrown at us. We are going to be judged by the law. There's only one law in the whole Bible. And he says to do this with joy. That's a theme, of course, in the Hebrew Yaakov. Do it with joy. We will be judged by our actions in regards to the law. It's the whole faithfulness theme. Faithfulness without works is dead. We will be judged according to our dead works. Our refusal to live Torah out with a joyful, giving heart, taking care of the widows and orphans and the strangers in our midst, and, and so on and so on. Also, uh, the, the Greek says law of liberty, uh, which is kind of interesting. And it says, um, but the Hebrew does not. I think, um, I think Michael already commented on this, and this is perhaps to lead people away from Torah. I don't know. But fact of the matter is, Torah is liberty. Okay, but people, just try try not to let the cognitive dissonance win the day here. If breaking Torah is sin, then the law itself is liberty. To sin is imprisonment. To carry a heavy burden and even lead to Sheol itself. All right. Um, but, se- but severe judgment will come on him who did not perform mercy, for the mercy boasts against the judgment. Let's see what Yaakov 2.15 says over here. I'm almost done for tonight, I think. For if there is a brother or sister who lacks to sustain themselves every day, and one of you speaks words of comfort to them, may Yahuwah give you to gratification. But he does not give them anything to profit the body. What profit will they have by these words? This verse is amazing in keeping with the faithfulness theme. Yaakov is defining for us what faith is. It's not a belief system. And works is not something separate from faith. Christian doctrine will often say the two need to be blended together. They will say that to their benefit, but they are, two, but they are two separate things. When in fact they are not. Christians will argue with me all the time that Torah is a works-based religion, whereas Christianity is not. They will say that I'm a works-based religion, and I've had, I had someone just recently last week, you know, say I'm on my way to hell because uh, I, I need to try as hard as I can not to obey the law, because if I try to, if I try to be obedient to the Father, then I am endangering myself to hell. Apparently, you know, apparently back in the day, uh, Satan accused people for not keeping the law, but now he accuses people for keeping it. You know, his tactic has changed, apparently. That seems to be the case much of the time. Christianity teaches that one is saved first, as I already mentioned, and everything to follow is a benefit or perhaps in some cases proof of their salvation. But that's not what we read in Scripture. Only those who persevere until the end will be saved. Consider what Yahushua says from, well, I shouldn't say from the horse's mouth, from the Messiah's mouth. And because iniquity shall shall abound and love of many shall wax cold. So uh yaakov is giving us examples of this uh love of many waxing cold but he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved right it's endearing into the end it's not you're saved and then you can coast through to the end it's you 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 endure into the end you can you can have it right your whole life you could be on the right path and then you screwed up at the end and you walk away from it and that would be quite the shame and it happens all right, one last, one last bit here, and then I'll hand it over to Rob. It'll be, I'll be done for the night. Yaakov 2.18, what does this say right here? Truly one is able to say, you have the faith. Oh, I like this. This is, this is good. This is so good. Let's try this again. Truly one is able to say, you have the faith, but I have the works. Bear me witness of your faith with your works. I am also bearing witness to you of my faith, for I have works. You, you believe that Yahuwah is, is one. You do well. The Satans also believe so, and they tremble. Now, notice the contrast here. The Satans believe, right? And this is where people, they, we, this is the problem of when you, um, when you confuse belief with faith. They're not the same. I mean, you have to have belief, obviously, to be obedient, right? Well, actually, you don't. You can be obedient uh, and, still, and still question. I went over that earlier tonight. But the thing is, is that even the demons believe, and they shudder. And guess what? The demons, they don't, they don't obey Torah. They are lawless. They're unclean. They don't keep it. So they believe. They're in the same position as the faith of many across the world. Many people believe. Just like the demons. It's kind of like when people say, you know, I'm spiritual. And it's like, well, so are the demons. So maybe you should be a little bit more specific. And um, now I have suggested in the past that Yaakov is I'll go ahead and say this. I have suggested this in the past. It has been put out there by me that Yaakov is directly responding to Galatians. Now that's a hot-button issue. But fact of the matter is, polyanity, which is 99.9% of uh, the faith, teaches this very thing. Whether or not the real person Sha- Shaul ever taught any such thing, I don't know. But it's definitely what is put forward. Um, uh, you know, that you just... You have belief, and that saves you. The belief saves you. It doesn't save the demons. So what what Yaakov says flies in the face of Christian teaching. This is one of the reasons why this book is hated so. No, it is not enough to believe in Jesus, or that Jesus existed, or that he died and resurrected and ascended to heaven. If you believe those things, congratulations, that's nice. Even the demons believe in Yahuwah. Without works, you clearly do not know him, and he does not get to know you. I went over those verses. That's how we know we are found in him, by doing, rather than simply advocating for, like, the home team, like this is football or something. We have been, um, and again, all right. And and uh, the other thing in this verse is that uh, Yaakov says, you believe that Yahuwah is one. That's great. Now, I was really thinking about this, because I'm under the impression I'm not reading the Hebrew, uh, but I, I think the word there is ikad. That is the word for one. That's what I'm guessing. It says that Yahuwah is Echad. That means he is in unity by way of friendship with, uh, by way of friendship, but also in action. Right. This is again the whole theme of, um, of the of the book. So this is what Yahusha says in Yochanan seventeen twenty one. I pray that you that they will all be Ikad one, just as you and I are Ikad one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. So this—that's the kind of the irony here—that you can believe that Yahuwah is a God, uh, but that doesn't mean that you're a God. If you're a God, then you are obedient to Him. I—I I know I'm be- sound like a broken record, but Yaakov is so obvious, and he just keeps pounding this out over and over and over and over again. And it's undeniable. I love this book. The verdict is in. Uh, the Hebrew is way better than the Greek. I'm in love. Over to you, Rob
1: Hi, great. Great stuff. Uh, both of you guys. I will I will add my slides and talk about them and kind of overlay. Majority of what you guys had spoken about, so I may be somewhat quick then, uh, in regards to that. But I will start here regarding chapter two. Um, I'm going to break it up into two parts for chapter two, and the second part I'll discuss faith and works. But uh, this first part I will cover. beginning of chapter 2 primarily, and that is, that is, uh, as Michael and Noel mentioned, Yahweh chooses the poor ones of this world, but, you know, they are rich in faith. And he says here, and the possessors of the promise to those who love him. So those who love him have have this promise. And we see the father chooses the poor ones, and it is better to be poor than to be rich because I, I think it's fairly obvious that we rely on him and not of ourselves uh, in that. So that's one positive about being poor uh, is that we will rely on the father and not on our own own selves and, and, and the rich then back to the partiality piece. I mean, that, that was a big a big part that many people struggle with. Uh, I see this so much in the corporate world that people are given respect and dignity and honor because of their position, their fame, their wealth, etc. And why be a respecter of persons for that purpose or that reason? It should be all based on the basics of one's oneself, self you know is that person kind generous loving you know are they shown the fruits of the spirit um everything should have a baseline and that's why there is there should be no respecter of persons having some type of leverage over another besides the basics of humanity uh Yeah, point three here, do not show partiality to the rich as they do everything to you with force. And we read that. And that's what we see even in today's world with the the rich and elites having great power over others because of that, uh, the influence. I mean, it's very, I hate to say this, but it's fairly simple for the rich to influence others Uh, for many people do things that they would normally not do if they weren't desperate for money or needs, et cetera. And the rich can take advantage of that and influence and change the, the scene and scenario around them to their advantage. And then part, uh, the other part on three, well, partiality is sin. And people need to realize that too. Showing partiality is, is a sin. Uh, as mentioned here in in James uh, point four, speak and do the Torah with joy. So he, he's he, he's letting us know to do this. Speak and do the Torah with joy. That's what we do, and that's what uh, all of us here are, are doing. We are researching, studying, reading the Torah, and and speaking it uh, with those that we love, those that we know, and we do this with joy. Uh, and and enjoy doing it, Uh, we see here that there is judgment, severe judgment, it says, uh, that comes to the ones who do not perform compassion. So those people out there who are not compassionate, and I don't mean a passive person that gets taken advantage of, I'm talking about compassion for the the right reasons and the right purpose for others and and doing something about it. So that should be a warning for everybody to uh, uh, perform compassion, be compassionate. And then six, your brother and sister, clothe and feed them if in need and not just pray for them. I mean, many times we pray for our brothers and sisters, but if they are in need of of food and clothing, of basic essentials, um, if they're in need, we should be going going out of the way to help them uh, when we can and how we can. So I just want to to mention that and point that out to the group. If your brother or sister, you know, is in need of food and clothing, then we should be helping them, not just praying for them. Uh, and then seven, faith without works cannot sanctify you. It is dead. And that is uh, a very eye-opening thought that you can have this faith, you can have this belief, but without the evidence, you, you won't be sanctified. It, it's just, it's dead. So I'll, I'll drop in um, slide number two. Give me a second here. All right, and this one's going to be on faith and works, and this is going to jump off of the last point seven. Uh, I just mentioned here, and we see here that uh, uh, I'll go through these. So James is saying, you believe that Yahweh is one, and you do well. The enemies, which is Satan's, also believe, and they tremble. So if if the enemies believe, and they know, and they tremble, uh, what does that tell you on just belief alone? And we see a point number two, faith without works is dead, he mentions. So right there, right there, just reinforces that our faith, our belief, must have evidence of it. We must be walking it out. And how do you walk that out is by doing what's in the Word, doing the the Torah. Uh, The Torah is the instructions that was handed down by the Father himself. I mean, the words from the Father. It's not like Moses made these up. Um, just in his head, this was given by the father for the instructions for the twelve tribes. And if we are in the twelve tribes, being scattered out, we are to be obedient to do such things. This is our foundation, and this we must show with our works by proving our faith. It's in what? First John. I don't have it in front of me. First John. Maybe even Noel mentioned it too. Maybe or or is Michael. First John 2, 3, maybe? Uh, I know it's in First John. That um, Yeshua says, if you love me, you will do my command. Uh, it's pretty simple. And by doing so, uh, your faith without works is dead. So we must do them. Point three, Abraham justified by his works. Okay? Uh, faith by the works is made complete. It's made whole. So having through faith, being made complete, there must be works to prove it, to be the evidence of that. And point five, and by, and by this, the Torah was established, which is said, Abraham believed in Yahweh, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now you all are able to see that one is justified by one's works, and not only by the faith. Okay, He's, he says that again, not only by the faith uh, or is one justified but by one's works. And then Rahab, the heart that was justified by the works, when she received the spies and hid them, she did something. She received them because uh, once they explained who they were and uh, what what they were doing there, she knew uh, that she she needed to help them and she hid them. and And because of that, because of her works, of her actions, he was justified. And lastly, for as the body without the spirit, the Ruach, is dead. So if you do not have the spirit in your body, it's dead. It's, it's just a, um, I guess you would call it an NPC. It's just there. It's just part of the program. And it's just lifeless. Uh, so we must need the Ruach to be free, to live. So faith without works is dead also. And I'll end it with that. And I will turn it back over to Michael for anything further. Michael.
2: All right. I only have a little bit left. So I'm looking forward to the round table and opening it up. So number 14, it says, uh, I'll read both. What doth, doth it, those King James. What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he had faith and have it not works, can faith save him? Hebrew. And what profit? What prophet is there, beloved brothers, if one says that he has the faith, but he does not have the works? For this faith does not have the ability to sanctify him. So, two things. Uh, it switched save him and sanctify him. <clears throat> two separate things. Normally, that would be two separate definitions. Um, sanctification and salvation. Uh, so, what do you guys think about that? And then also, uh, a small difference can faith save him question mark does not have the ability to sanctify him exclamation point huge difference i thought there what do you guys think about that Uh, number 14 uh number 15 i'll read the greek so if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food uh hebrew has so much more um but then i realized it it was actually pulling from 16 but um so destitute is the same word as lack in the rich young ruler. So in Luke 18, 22, it says, When Yeshua heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So he had everything. The rich young ruler had everything, but sell the one thing you lack. And that's the same word as destitute of daily food. So, sure, it can definitely be literal food, but can it also be spiritual food, Uh, manna, right? So the rich man had everything, but uh, he lacked. um, So he didn't want to sell all his possessions and distribute it. Uh, 23, real quick, I I just want to notate. So, it doesn't mention that Abraham was a friend of God. So in the Hebrew, it says, and by this, the Torah was fulfilled, which said, and Abraham believed in Yahweh, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Greek scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed in God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Um, I just noticed another difference. You know, that word imputed, oh man, uh, seminary goes crazy on that one. Imputed righteousness. Here it says reckoned to him. I remember reckoned was in John, and I forgot what it meant, but I thought that was cool. And the, uh, but I just want to notate that. In the Greek it says he's the friend of God, but that's removed in the Hebrew. And finally, I was really struggling with James, finding great nuggets. Uh, to me, it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, Noel and Rob did a great job of elaborating, way better than I could have. But uh, so everybody knows about Abraham's faith, right? That's that's pretty well taught. I wanna talk about Rahab. So in 24, likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way. So kind of summarizing who she was so according to book of joshua when the hebrews were encamped at shoot in the Arabah or jordan valley opposite of jericho ready to cross the river joshua as a final preparation sent out two spies to investigate the military strength of jericho so the spies stayed at rahab's house which was built into the city wall so the soldiers sent to capture the spies asked rahab to bring them out instead she hid them she hid them under bundles of flax on the roof it was the time of the barley har- harvest and flax and barley are ripe at the same time in in that location so the, the bundles of flax stalks might have been expected to be drying just then so after escaping the spies promised to spare rahab and her family after taking the city even if there should be a massacre if she would mark her house by hanging a red cord out the window that sounds familiar a little bit right so when the city of jericho fell rahab and her whole family was preserved at conning according to the promise of the spies and were incorporated among Israel. She was actually in the lineage of Yeshua too, I believe in Matthew. Um, So I'll just read it again uh, in the Hebrew. And like this, Rakov, the harlot, was she not justified by the works when she received the spies and hid them? So she was doing Torah, she was a harlot, she was a prostitute, but she was justified by them.